I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up, going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade, no one will catch him, touchdown! Hello and welcome to another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. Welp, the Detroit Lions made a trade. And it says a lot of things. Today is Mailbag Day and we will get to that. But first we got to address the big news of the day. And that is Everson Griffin is a Detroit Lion. Yep, that's right. Everson Griffin, the guy that we talked about back way in July and August about possibly signing with the Detroit Lions and how he would make a lot of sense and be a really good fit, is now on the Lions after initially signing with Dallas. The Lions trade a sixth, a conditional sixth round that could be a fifth round pick, according to my colleague Todd Archer, to Dallas for Everson Griffin. Griffin won't be available this week because of COVID restrictions. He will, however, be available next week when the Lions play at, yep, Minnesota. So his first game in Detroit could be at the place he used to play and used to terrorize Matthew Stafford at. But let's look at what this means for the Lions. First, it shows that, frankly, the Lions are in as far as trying to to make a run at this. And you should not be surprised at this because of the status of Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. They need to win to save their jobs. So the fact that they're three and three, they had a chance to get a pass rusher, a guy that can help at arguably their weakest spot on their entire team and do it, frankly, on the fairly cheap for what Griffin, what that will cost, a sixth, the fifth, if he's playing really well, you take that. If you're the Detroit Lions, without question, without a doubt, you take that every day. Because even if Griffin gives you six sacks, he's going to draw attention. He's going to make life easier for Romeo Okwara and for Trey Flowers. This is a good scenario, a good situation for the Lions to have. This is a spot at defensive end where the Lions had no depth especially when Julian O'Quara went on IR. This was a spot where they were using Nick Williams and Deshaun Hand, two guys who were better suited inside, on the outside on Sunday when they beat the Falcons. This gives them depth. This gives them a rotation. This is a smart move. I have no criticisms of making this move for the Detroit Lions because even if it doesn't work out, even if he's not good 
and it's just not working. And judging based off of what we've seen in Dallas, I think he'll be a rotational guy. Maybe he can give you a little bit more, and maybe Matt Patricia can figure out a way to make him even better. It's still a guy that you know can do it, that has done it before, that's going to be motivated. I like this move a lot for Detroit. It signals that they're in. It signals that they're all in, I think, on trying to make the playoffs this year, which, again, you shouldn't be surprised by considering where Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are in trying to save their jobs and the edict that came down from ownership when they kept them last season. It also, frankly, shows that Bob Quinn is still able to call the shots and still able to make moves. So that means he's going to be able to try and possibly make more moves around the trade deadline. And Bob Quinn has been active around the deadline throughout his tenure with the Lions, but especially with Matt Patricia. This is now the fourth big trade that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia have made around the deadline. In 2018, they traded for Snacks Harrison. In a similar situation to kind of how the Lions got the jo- got Everson Griffin, obviously I think Dallas was a little less desperate than the Giants were, but it established they established a need, a big need, and they got a guy who they figured could fill it. Now, I think Snacks Harrison, when they got him, is a little better than Everson Griffin, but the thought is still the same. Biggest problems there, pass rush, go get a guy who maybe is the best pass rusher out there and available. And that is potentially Everson Griffin. Then, of course, they traded away Golden Tate for a draft pick. That was a bad move that they made, and it really kind of, in many ways, torpedoed their offense in the 2018 season when it looked like they were still alive. I'd be surprised if they did something like that this year, again, because the Lions need to win. But that said, if they move Marvin Jones, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world. However, I think what you're going to maybe see is a lot more moves maybe happen this week because of that six-day protocol that they have, which is why Everson Griffin will not be available for the Lions on Sunday, that maybe a lot more moves happen this week instead of next to make sure that they have guys available and able to get in the building for a week of practice earlier rather than later. And obviously then the third deal that they made last year was a really bad deal as we all know in trading away Quandre Diggs. It's a deal that still doesn't make sense. Even if you look at their safeties now, they could absolutely use Quandre Diggs in their defensive backfield. And maybe they don't trade for Deron Harmon then. I still would take Quandre Diggs over Deron Harmon in part because Quandre Diggs is a little bit younger. But, I mean, Deron Harmon's a good player. There's no doubt about that. I still don't believe in trading away your good players, and especially ones that are under contract for a little while, which is what they did with Diggs. But this is big deal number four in the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia de- era around the trade deadline. I think it's one that's going to help them in the future. And in the future, I mean in a few weeks, but also definitely in the present. Because don't forget, too, this is a guy that can now maybe explain some more of the intricacies of the Mike Zimmer defense, maybe even give some hints on a few guys that are still left from Mike Zimmer defenses of the past, like, oh, I don't know, Harrison Smith, that can maybe help the Lions offense as well. Now, obviously, they didn't do it just for that, but that can be an ancillary benefit. It will be pretty interesting, though. I would love to be 
in the room when Everson Griffin and Matthew Stafford chat for the first time because for so long Griffin had been a thorn in Matthew Stafford's side between him and Daniil Hunter. They had pummeled him so many times when they were the Vikings pass rushers. And now Everson Griffin and Matthew Stafford are going to be teammates. Going to be curious. I wonder if there'll be some sort of like quick little remembrance if they line up against each other next week during practice. So, like I said, that's the big news. Everson Griffin, he's now a Detroit Lion, as reported by our Jeremy Fowler and Adam Schefter and Todd Archer. We'll be back right after this with our mailbag on this week's, this day's, Wednesday's, Michael Rothstein Show. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back. Obviously, we covered the big news at the start, which is Everson Griffin, now a Detroit Lion, after they traded with Dallas. So, yeah. Let's just jump right into the mailbag portion of this show. Want to hit as many questions as I possibly can. First one comes over Instagram from Robert Cotto, who asks, Good morning, Mike. Nice episode today. Well, thanks. Two questions for tomorrow. One of them actually was about Everson Griffin and the possibility of the Lions trading for him, which obviously already answered. The other one, thoughts on rumors of Marvin Jones being traded. I think it's possible. Now, the Lions showing that they are definitely quote-unquote buyers, even though I think the buyer-sellers thing is a little bit of a myth in the NFL. I think that you're definitely maybe going to see less of a chance of Marvin Jones getting moved, mostly because I think that the Lions want to hold on to their assets, hold on to their players. Marvin Jones starting to look more like the Marvin Jones that we're used to seeing 
So I think they might want to hold on to him because Marvin Hall is not going to be able to give you the same thing Marvin Jones will. Quintez Cephas, I think, is too unreliable right now as a rookie. And we'll get to him a little bit later in the show that I just don't know if you make that move right now. Would it shock me, as I said earlier in the podcast? No. If you get the right deal for him, I think you do it. Especially if you say they someone offers a third or a fourth rounder, I think you take it. But I think that that's what it would take. I don't think they would trade him for less than that. I'd be surprised if they traded him for less than that. And frankly, I'd be surprised if a team offered that much for Marvin Jones at this point. But we'll see. Strange things happen around the trade deadline. But I would I feel like with this Griffin move today, it very much signals that the Lions are really going to try to hold on to as many of their assets as possible to really make a run at this. Now, that being said, I feel like I said that in 2018, and then they moved Golden Tate at the deadline. So anything is possible around the trade deadline. Matt Patricia even said that on Monday. And I believe it. I buy it. I've been around the NFL for too long to think anything else. Ben, who's at BC Lions fan, asks, do you think the play calling is causing Stafford difficulty finding a rhythm or has he just regressed and that's why coach is limiting him? I wouldn't say that he's been limited. I think he's really aired it out at least the last couple of weeks. Maybe he hasn't thrown necessarily for like 350-yard games or anything like that. But I think that... He's been fine. I thought he played one of the better games, his best game of the season against Atlanta. I thought he played okay enough against Jacksonville, but I really liked what I saw from him against the Falcons. So I don't know if I necessarily buy into that, that he's regressed at all. I certainly don't necessarily think that. As far as him finding a rhythm, I think that he was struggling with that over the first month. I think he's found something a little bit more here the last couple of weeks. He's definitely gotten his rapport back with Kenny Galladay, as evidenced by his back-to-back 100-yard games. It seems like he's finding his stride with Marvin Jones, and it seems like he's comfortable with DeAndre Swift out of the backfield and with TJ Hawkinson on short to intermediate work and definitely in the red zone. So I think that he's fine. I don't necessarily think that that honestly, is much of an issue. I think the Lions have bigger issues than Matthew Stafford at this point, and the Lions have to hope that that continues to be the case as they go here the rest of the way because if they do end up having Matthew Stafford as an issue, I think that's a a bigger issue for the franchise overall when it comes to whether or not they're going to win or lose ballgames. That's just the truth of it because – They need Matthew Stafford to be good and play well in order to win games. The next question comes from Facebook as we're trying to diversify today. And it comes from Mark Siegel. His question, is the defense playing more 4-3 versus 3-4? And are they playing more Philadelphia defense versus New England defense? That's a really good question. I'm not sure the answer to that question as far as whether it's more Philly or New England, I think it's still very much Matt Patricia's style of defense that they are just kind of running what works best. I've asked Corey Oundland about this. I even asked Daryl Bevel about the evolution of their defense because he sees it every day in practice. And I obviously asked Matt Patricia about this. Patri- Matt Patricia basically said, listen, they have, they have a little bit of everything in their playbook. Their playbook is, quote, pretty thick. And... 
I think that right now they're just happy to be in a rhythm and finding a rhythm. Corey Udlin, basically, it sounded like he believes players are starting to trust each other more, which means they're going to be in the places they need to be, and that was part of the problem. There is no doubt that their mixing up of man and zone and being more aggressive is something that's absolutely helping them. I anticipate they're going to continue to do that against the Colts, although it'll be a little trickier because Phillip Rivers likes to get the ball out pretty, pretty fast. All of that said, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think you're still seeing the same type of defense the Lions ran, which is similar to the New England defense. I've mostly noticed 3-4. I'd have to really dig in and look, and I'll be honest that I haven't totally, totally dug in on the 4-3 versus 3-4 question. They definitely play a mix of it. I thought they were playing a little bit more 3-4, but they're so multiple with so much of the different things that they do that some parts are interchangeable there. And I know that that's just kind of skipping out on the question, and I'll try to get a better answer for you, and worst case, I'll answer you privately. But I think they're probably still playing more... three four but also the other thing to keep in mind is that really their base defense in a lot of ways is more of a nickel where it's either a three three five or uh you know a two four five or a four two five like that's really more of where they've been playing i think the majority of the time than really a base four three or three four like we're used to seeing so if i were to look at their base i would say it's more probably of a three three five when you look at their personnel that happens to be out there. Next question comes from Nate Simons at what Simon says. As bad as they looked before the bye, they've looked so much better after. Have they fixed some of their problems on defense, or is it more about the quality teams they played against combined 2-10 and ten with the Jags down early? Obviously asked this before the Jags lost. So I would say that I think that they have been better. I think the quality of opponent is definitely something to consider. But Atlanta's offense is pretty good. Matt Ryan is a good quarterback. Julio Jones is still one of the best receivers in the NFL. Todd Gurley is a good running back. Calvin Ridley is a really good number 1A, number 2 wide receiver. Hayden Hurst can play tight end. Their offensive line, even though Alex Mack got hurt and was out for a bit, is still not bad. So I take it as I think that they've found some things that work. Did they fix their problems? I don't know. I think maybe trading for Everson Griffin might have fixed some of their problems if Everson Griffin can still be productive as a pass rusher. But I think that they've figured out a little bit more of how they need to play, how they can be successful, what works best for them with the personnel that they have. And I think they're going to roll with it. And I think it in some ways makes them more diverse than what they were playing early on in the season when they were not pressure, they were not blitzing, they were not pressuring, they were running only man defense for the most part. Now it feels like they're running a more diverse, more aggressive defensive package. Corey Unglund didn't want to say how much of that influence was him versus players versus Matt Patricia, but I have to believe at least a little bit it's Corey Unglund finally getting comfortable in what he is doing. Bobby four three zero seven six asks, did this win? against the uh, Falcons, save Matt Patricia from getting fired if they lost. We won't know. Sheila Fordham has yet to talk with the media, but at this point, with them being 3-3, three and three, I don't see the Lions moving on from Matt Patricia anytime 
soon. If they crater here in the next month, maybe you're having that discussion at Thanksgiving. But moreover, I think they're going to give Matt Patricia till the end of the season to see what he can do and to see if he can show improvement. Because here's the thing. If this team ends up getting to 9-7, and seven, let's just say that that happens. I think you're keeping Matt Patricia because that would mean that they really played well toward the back half of the season. They were really competitive and they're going in the right direction. And do you really want to mess with that at that point? So I think it's more of a question of what's going to happen at the end of the season than is a move going to happen before the end of the season at this point. There's no doubt that Matt Patricia is still on the hot seat, that Bob Quinn's still on the hot seat. There's no question about that. Anyone who tells you otherwise, I think, is putting too much faith and hope in wins over Jacksonville and Atlanta. But all that being said, I think that he has bought himself some time with the way that the Lions have won those games against the Jaguars and then really was resilient and then ended up winning the game late. Luckily, very luckily, if you listen to an earlier edition of the podcast, against the Falcons. Honolulu Blues, who's at HB Romo one asks true or false at this stage of his career. Emphasis on that part. Kenny Galladay is better than Calvin Johnson, man. I understand why you're asking that, but that answer is just no. I mean, Kenny Galladay is a really good receiver. Kenny Galladay might be, I don't know, the number nine, number 10 receiver in the NFL. Calvin Johnson, four years into his career, was the best receiver in the NFL. Calvin Johnson was also playing with not-so-good quarterbacks, and that's not necessarily a knock on my ESPN colleague Dan Orlovsky or Dallas Cowboys quarterbacks coach John Kitna or any of the other guys that he played with, but he was not playing with the same level of quarterback that Kenny Galladay is playing with in Matthew Stafford. Now, if you look at Kenny Galladay's career, Kenny Galladay is a really, really darn good receiver. You saw what he did last year when he had to play with Jeff Driscoll and David Blau. When you're looking at Calvin Johnson, basically take the first four years of his career, more or less, and have him play with guys like Blau and Driscoll, because that's what was happening. So do that with Galladay. And let's see what the numbers look like. I don't think they'd be quite as good as what they are now, even though Kenny Galladay is a master at contested catches and can make quarterbacks look a lot better than maybe they are. And that's, I think, one of his strengths. Kenny Galladay is not better than Calvin Johnson. Is he approaching maybe that level of comfort with Matthew Stafford? Sure. I wrote about that on Monday. But to say Kenny Galladay is better than Calvin Johnson, nah, man, just can't go there. Just just really can't go there. Stephen James, who's at Mr. Holland underscore F3, asks, Tracy Walker seemed a little disgruntled at the beginning of the season. Am I wrong? Or has that changed if true? You know, it's tough to tell because we're not in the locker room. And we've talked about that and kind of the, the things that we're all missing out by not having media in the locker room. And I hope that that one day comes back once COVID ends up being behind us, whenever that ends up being. But I... I don't get the. He's certainly not now. I mean, he's playing basically every snap. I think he's playing particularly well. They're using him in a bunch of diverse ways. And he's dropping back a little bit. He's rushing the passer, sorry, more than he has before. I think he's been largely one of their better defenders. 
was he disgruntled at the beginning of the year when he wasn't playing all that much? Maybe. I mean, you know, his his answers of like, hey, that's above my pay grade, that usually sends a signal of, hey, I'm not super happy. And he shouldn't have been because Tracy Walker is one of their best defensive players. Will Harris is not. There was no reason for that situation to happen the first couple of weeks of the year. That was Matt Patricia and some of the defensive coaches maybe being a little bit too cute and trying to th- figure things out. Is it any coincidence that defenses started to play a little bit better when J. Ron Curse comes back? Because J. Ron Curse has very much been a little bit in that Tracy Walker role as well, where they've moved moving him around as like a linebacker piece, which has allowed them to move Tracy Walker around a bit more. And I think it helps everybody. And part of that, again, teams they played, but part of that too is all of a sudden you have two very movable pieces on your defense in J. Ron Curse and in Tracy Walker that you can move them down to a linebacker spot. Tracy Walker is even kind of lined up in like an outside linebacker spot here and there. You can have them play back as safeties, more so Walker than Curse, although Curse can obviously do it. So I think that all that's we're talking about is play, but I all that's to say I don't think that there's any issue now. He seems like he's perfectly fine and, and playing quite well. Of course, with the media, he's always kind of pretty jovial because that's kind of the way Tracy Walker is. He's actually one of my favorite people to talk to on the team because of the energy he brings to all of the interviews. He actually seems like he wants to be talking to us, which isn't always necessarily the case. Your inner monologue, who's at Dave Says One, asks, is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Fame quarterback if you retired today? If not, what would it take to get there? It's a good question. Uh, I think Matthew Stafford right now is in the Hall of Very Good. That's not a bad place to be. There are a lot of players who live in the Hall of Very Good. A lot of really good players. A lot of maybe great players even live in the Hall of Very Good. Getting to the Hall of Fame is a little bit different. I think what would have to happen is Matthew Stafford would probably have to end his career, and again, this is just in my opinion, in the top five in yards and maybe touchdowns all time. If he's on this current trajectory of not winning playoff games and not making playoff runs and not winning division titles, he's still got time to do those things. So what would it take to get there? I think he'd need to statistically be really high up there, higher than he is now, which is in the top 20 in a lot of situations. Because right now he's he's kind of passing like Vinny Testaverde. And, and Vinny Testaverde is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's a Hall of Very Good quarterback. So I think it needs to come down to wins at this point. And that's not always fair for quarterbacks, especially with some of the teams that Stafford's been on. But I think he's got to win some divisions. Win a couple playoff games. Get to a Super Bowl. You win it. If Matthew Stafford at this point won a Super Bowl, I think he's a Hall of Fame. He's in. Maybe not first ballot, but he's in at some point. That said, yeah, win some playoff games. Win a couple division titles. Get to the Pro Bowl a few more times. I, I have a tough time seeing him becoming an all-pro quarterback just because of at least first-team all-pro just because of what's involved there. And he'd have to be outplay guys like Russell Wilson and – Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and that's a tough ask I think for anybody especially in this era of quarterback Aaron Rodgers obviously in that conversation this year as well so I think that's a little bit of a tall ask but say he makes three or four more Pro Bowls let's just say that you have to play pretty well to do that you win a few playoff games you make the playoffs a few more times. You win a couple of division titles. Yeah, I think it's. I think that might be enough to get him in. Again, not first ballot or second ballot or anything like that, but maybe some guy who ends up being a finalist three, four times, and maybe on that fifth try ends up being able to get in. I think it's possible, but he's got a lot of work to do.
D, who's at Dentlos, asks, what was the recipe for good run defense in the last two games? I think their their front is playing incredibly stout. I think Danny Shelton's been a really large reason for that. I think he's been quite good against the run. He's been quite good at holding his own in the middle of the defense the last couple of games. I think they've been aggressive with their linebackers coming up into those gaps to hammer in some holes. And they're not letting, basically, they're not, they're not hurting themselves, which is so much of what they were doing against like the Packers and the Saints and the Bears. They were just getting blocked too often. They were running into blocks. They were taking wrong angles, all of that. And I think that they straightened a lot of that out over the bye. I think that they fixed some of their rotations. They found some guys that maybe play a little bit better together. Kind of, if you think about it, when you're looking on the defensive line, almost like lines in hockey where you're, you're trying to mix and match to find the best combination of guys. I think that they've found that in some instances, in some situational situations. So that, to me, I think is really where they've been getting better is I think some of the play calls have been better. I think Danny Shelton has really improved and their linebackers aren't quite getting blocked off and sealed off like they were the first four weeks of the season. Sean, who's at the Great White FK8, do I buy Super Bowl tickets? Well, I don't know. Let's see how many fans are allowed to the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> like that, that would be my question. If you're buying them in hopes of seeing the Lions, then no, I, I would not buy Super Bowl tickets this year. I think the NFC is really tough. I don't, I don't know if this team's a playoff team. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team at this point, even if they end up, say, with a 9-7 and seven record. I think that that NFC West and that second team in the NFC South, and obviously the Saints hold the tiebreaker against them. The Bucks may end up holding the tiebreaker if the Bucks beat them. Those things are a problem for the Lions. Plus, the Bears more than likely are going to be in conversation for that too. So there are a lot of teams there, and the Lions are playing from behind. It's why this this stretch of games, the Indianapolis, Minnesota, Washington, Carolina, Houston stretch is so important for Detroit to win as many of these games as possible because this is where they can really make up some ground heading into a tough December where they have to play Green Bay again, have to play Tennessee, have to play Tampa. Uh, have to play Minnesota, but obviously Minnesota is not all that good, and they have to play the Bears again. So uh, they got to make the playoffs first. But if you just want to go to the Super Bowl and you're able to get a ticket and you feel comfortable going during a global pandemic, go for it, man. <laughs> Stephen Mallet, who's at Stephen underscore Mallet, is the front office considering trading TJ Hawkinson for a case of beer after his stupid judgment call to not go out of bounds? Valid question. No, they're not planning on trading TJ Hawkinson. TJ Hawkinson is progressing well. They obviously would like him to be more consistent, but TJ Hawkinson's a good player. I'm only answering this question because I thought it was a funny way to phrase a question, but nah, man, TJ Hawkinson should not be going anywhere. Again, you don't trade away your good players. You don't trade away first-round picks like that, and there's no reason to trade TJ Hawkinson because, oh yeah, he is playing well. Lawrence Timmerman, who's LBT, man, Asks, Atlanta has one of the poorer passing defenses in the league, but they had solid coverage on Galladay, who had many contested catches. Actually, my note, all of his catches were contested. Also, Marvin Jones has struggled to get separation in recent games. What is the reason opposing secondaries are making it so tough on Detroit wide receivers? I don't think that it's like the secondaries as much as how Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones play. Neither one of them are like speed guys. 
They don't have Marvin Hall's speed. They don't have Jamal Agnew's speed. They're kind of bigger receivers. They've always kind of made their money winning 50-50 balls, winning contested balls, running precise and crisp routes, and just being able to high point the ball and beating the corner in the air. That's just how they play. So I don't think that they're making it tough on Detroit wide receivers as much as this is just what it's always been. Now, can maybe some of Daryl Bevel's play calls scheme up a way for them to get some more space and separation? Sure, it's possible, and he's done that from time to time. But by and large, this is just how they play. This is just the receivers that they have. Now, can they go get a speed receiver? Sure, maybe they should have in the draft instead of taking Quintez Cephas, who's more of a possession guy. But that seems to be the type of receivers that they like to have. So I, I don't really know what to tell you there. I Like I said, I don't think it's that they're making it tough on Detroit receivers. I just think that that's just the reality of what they are. Doug McCready is at... DG McCready asks, not really a question, but it's so unfortunate that the best division in the NFC gets to play the worst division. This could easily keep the Lions out of the playoffs despite owning one the one tiebreaker with Arizona. I would absolutely agree that I, I don't think all three wild cards come from the NFC West, but I think you can see two of them come from the NFC West between the Rams and the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Like that to me is that group. I just don't know if the Niners are going to be able to pull it off. I think they've got too many injuries. And right now, to me, they work, look like the worst team in a very good division, frankly. And if they were in any other division other than maybe the NFC North, I think that I would pick them to win that division potentially. So I think between those teams, so say they take two. Let's just say that. Let's say it shakes out like that. Then you're looking at one more spot between the second place team or may you know but in the NFC South and the second place team in the NFC North or maybe even depending on how it shakes out you're looking at the third place team in the North or in the South because Carolina I think is competitive still obviously the Lions are kind of where they are with their record it's going to take a lot of work and like I said I think these next few games are going to be massive for the Lions if they want to have any shot at the playoffs of course what could really help them down the road, depending on what's going on in that NFC South, is if they beat Carolina and they beat Tampa Bay. If they're able to win those two games, then obviously they would have the tiebreakers between the between the two of them. Those would also be one game that's, to me, a true toss-up. Another game that, frankly, they're supposed to, I think, lose, and that's that game against Tampa in December. So I look at all that and I say... They got a lot of work to do before you really worry about that. But yes, it's something to definitely keep... And I on. Alan Pearlstein is at Al the Lion asks before the season. A lot of people had Tracy Walker as a player to watch. Just ready for a breakout season. What are your impressions of Tracy Walker's performance so far this year? We talked a bit about Tracy Walker before. I thought he was struggling a little bit uh, in like weeks two and three. I think that they didn't play him enough early in the season. I think lately he's been one of their better defenders. Uh, I think he's been aggressive. I think they're they figured out a way to use him really well. I think the addition of J. Ron Curse off of suspension has helped Tracy Walker because it's given them a little bit more freedom to find his role and just giving them the reps. They they didn't need to be playing Will Harris. That was a a thing they were messing around with that made no sense. They were almost trying to turn Tracy Walker into what they're doing with J. Ron Curse, where it made more sense to turn, you know, just move. Tracy Walker down when you needed that type of player in and then just bring in Will Harris for those plays. To me, that's what I would have done. But 
I think Tracy Walker has been playing well of late, and he's been aggressive. He's showing himself a little bit as a pass rusher as well as a guy who can go after the ball. So I don't think he's having a breakout season, but I think he's having a very good year that could turn in the second half of the season to a breakout season, especially if this defense continues to find ways to improve. Michael Knight, who's at Mway Knight, asks, I would really like to see them use Swift more. They definitely seem to run the offense better with him out there. What are the actual stats with him on the field opposed to using Peterson? Now, you know, we've hit on this a little bit in prior podcasts, mostly on the kind of situation that, like, yeah, like, they're maybe using Adrian Peterson in certain roles. And I asked Daryl Bevel about this, that should they be using Adrian Peterson in back-to-back runs? And Bevel basically said, with every, anything that we asked him today about Adrian Peterson or DeAndre Swift, basically said, listen, it's constantly evolving. They continue to look at it. I think this offense has been more diverse with DeAndre Swift on the field. I think it's been more effective with DeAndre Swift on the field. I don't have the exact numbers for you, but I think DeAndre Swift is just playing better at the moment. And that's just a feel thing than anything statistically. I apologize for not having those actual stats on me. Some of that's a little bit difficult to kind of be able to to discern. And, and frankly, that's a much bigger project and one that, you know what, if it continues to play out like this, I may even use as a story. And uh, if that happens, obviously, I'll try to make sure to give you some credit, at least in a tweet, as far as a story idea goes. But let's see how it plays out the next couple of weeks, and then we'll go from there. But to me, I think, anecdotally at least, it looks like they're a better team with Swift out on the field, but I understand why they're playing both. Brandon DeBruin, who's at DeBruin underscore Brandon, what do you make of the diminished role we've seen for Quintez Cephas? Played a lot early when Kenny Galladay was out with injury, but haven't seen him much with the veteran group playing well. I think, frankly... What's happening now is what I anticipated would happen with Quintez Cephas from the beginning. But Kenny Galladay was hurt, and they needed a receiver, and Quintez Cephas was that guy. I always thought that Cephas would be the healthy-type scratch once all their guys were healthy because when you look at it, here are the different roles that these guys play, right? You're not taking Kenny Galladay out of the lineup. You're not taking Marvin Jones out of the lineup. You're probably not taking Danny Amendola out of the lineup, but if you do, you're not replacing him with Cephas. You're replacing him with Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew needs to be up because he's your punt returner and your kick returner. Marvin Hall gives you something that you don't have from any of your other outside receivers and really any of your receivers, period, which is a pure speed option because as fast as Jamal Agnew is, he doesn't necessarily have the route tree experience or the go route experience that Marvin Hall does. So I just don't know where Quintus Cephas fits in. If anything, some of his skill sets are redundant to what the Lions currently have in Jones, uh, to a lesser extent, Galladay, but certainly Jones as a possession guy, a tight windows guy, and you're not going to play Quintus Cephas over Marvin Jones. So he's just not getting the run, and he's not active because you only can have so many active guys, and right now your guys are healthy. If the Lions suffer an injury at receiver, especially on the outside, I would imagine you'll see Quintus Cephas come up again. But remember, he was still a third-day pick, and I think that the Lions were in a situation, especially with some of the COVID restrictions out there, that they just went to Cephas early. Remember, Galladay got injured that week during practice. I think, say, he had gotten hurt the week before week one. Maybe they keep a different receiver. Maybe they try to make a different move. Maybe they 
who knows? Maybe they try to bring back Travis Fulham, although I doubt that because they clearly had designs more on Cephas before that. Maybe they try to go and sign a veteran guy for a few weeks and not play Cephas, let Cephas grow into his role. I don't have any problem with what's going on with Cephas right now, mostly because who are you going to play him in front of? Like, yeah, he's a rookie. Yeah, you want, you know, your rookie's the shiny new thing. Nah, like, who's he playing in front of? He's just not. Matt Patricia, who's at fire underscore Patricia. From a standpoint of reality, is it time for the Lions to trade Stafford and Galladay? No and no. That's not going to happen. Stafford, first of all, because of the money involved in trading him and the cap hit involved in trading him and the fact that who's going to play quarterback for you. And it's not like this is the first year of a rebuild. This is a must-win year for Bob Quinn and Matt. Patricia, Galladay, I can understand the question. And I think it would be, I just can't see it happening because, again, the Lions have to win. And you should want Kenny Galladay around. He's one of your best players. Do not trade your good players. I say it every podcast. Do not trade your good players. So, no, I don't see in the standpoint of reality a a place where they move on from Matthew Stafford or Kenny Galladay at this point. I would be floored if they made either move. Stafford's just not going to happen. No way, no how. I would be highly floored if they moved Kenny Galladay at this point. I think there's a better chance that he gets an extension or that they tag him because I don't think they're going to let him walk out the door either. But, you know, we'll see. Stranger things have happened. Gem-67, who's at Gemini Joe 67 If the Lions make the playoffs and win games, solidifying Quinn Patricia return for 2021, will Dave Burkett and Jeremy Reisman move to Canada? No, I, I highly doubt either one of those things. Um, I'm just hoping the border from Canada to the United States is open by 2021 because I have some friends in Canada that I really miss and really want to go see, um, including, heck, I'm just going to throw it in here now. Uh, I talked about it on a few podcasts before, and I know we've got a bunch of new listeners, I think, at least from when I talked about them, and I'll talk about it a little bit more next week. By the way, I turn 40 next week, uh, but I'm going to try to do have a quick little fundraiser maybe through the podcast, through some social media for uh, a couple different charities that I care about. And one of them is called Snowy Strong. It's through the Calgary Flames Foundation for my friend Chris Snow. Uh, Chris Snow ha- is the assistant GM for the Calgary Flames. He has ALS. Um, he's 38. He's a really good friend of mine going back to college. I love the guy. Um, so I hope that the border to Canada opens because – We were supposed to go up, myself and a bunch of our friends from college, um, in March or in June. We were talking about both those times and obviously haven't been able to do so. And I really want to get up there and see him uh, really badly. So sorry to take a joke of a question and turn it serious for a second. But if you are interested in donating, consider going to snowystrong.ca that's snowy s n o y strong s t r o n g .ca it's snowy strong for als there's a whole bunch of information on there uh, and they're running it through the Calgary Flames Foundation which is obviously the organiza- hockey organization that Chris works for so just thought that I would mention it in here you'll probably hear a bit more about this in the next com- few days too as I uh as I kind of ramp up maybe the guilt 
for uh, for me turning older and, and try to maybe pe- get people to to donate some money. Of course, if you have the money to to donate, and I know that that's always a tricky thing. But uh, let's try to try to beat ALS. And there's a couple other things, hopefully, that I'll be able to talk about at that point too. Um, but no, I don't see Dave Burkett or Jeremy Reisman moving to Canada anytime soon. But I do love Canada. Eric Lambert, who's at Eric underscore Lambo, would you throw the Jets a second for Quinn and Williams? <sighs> that's a good question. Maybe. I don't know. I like him as a player. I loved him as a player coming out of college. A second's pretty steep. I guess it's a question of when you get him and and how much you really value that. I don't know. I, I think that that would be a little bit much. I think he's probably worth it, but I think it would be a little bit much for me. To give up a second um, at this point, especially considering you're kind of like teetering on the edge of relevancy and irrelevancy. Like if this team was six and or like five and two or something like that or or, you know, four and two and clearly and like the like. So, you know, if they were one game better, two games better and you could get that and really solidify yourself as a chance to be a real serious, like Super Bowl type contender. I could see making that move and just kind of going all in, especially because you'd have Quinn and Williams for a few years beyond that. But I, I don't know. That's a tough question. I like the question though, because it made me think. Um, Vikram Botarinth opera at operation earth. What to make of the Everson Griffin trade that just happened. I'm just including this to say, Hey, we talked about that at the top, but I wanted to get your name in there. Damari, who's at just underscore mere three, is Trufant on the trading block due to the production of Jeff Okuda and Amani Awarie with Roberts and Coleman coming back? Well, Roberts already back. Mike Ford came back. Justin Coleman looks like he's potentially coming back. I don't know if they would trade Desmond Trufant. I would be curious the market that they would maybe get for him. That would be one that I think if they got the right offer, maybe you consider it. Obviously, you've paid him a lot of guaranteed money, and you're probably going to ha- be – that's going to be a tough hit maybe on your cap. And you definitely want the depth there at corner. And I think that he's still a guy that you'd end up seeing in the lineup still. But I think that the longer Desmond Trufant is out, the less of a chance that the Lions would maybe push him back in the lineup once he does come back. I've tried asking that question, haven't really gotten anywhere when it comes to figuring all of that out. But it's a good question. Again, I mean, would a team trade for a guy who's been largely injured this year? Probably not. You're probably not going to get your return on investment there. I I, I don't think a team would give you a, a mid-round pick at this point for Desmond Trufant. So that would be what I would want for him. I don't, I don't think trading him for a six or a seven with what you're trying to do this year would be good because you do that and then say a Warrior or a Kuda gets hurt. Then you put yourself in a real jam at corner. So I think it would depend on the offer, and I think it would have to be a pretty good one for that to happen. Eric Lodemeyer, can the Lions play at the Big House for outdoor games and fans in attendance? No, I don't see that happening. That's just, no, I just don't see that happening. It would be interesting, though. It would be a much easier commute for me. I'd be able to walk to the stadium, cold or not. So I'm all for it from a commute standpoint, uh, but no, I, I don't really see that one happening. And... uh Let's see, there are a couple more questions here. Nate, who's at Doby Dog, is the Lions' ability to get pressure for real? How would you rate the Colts' offensive line? So I think the Colts' offensive line is really good. Quentin Nelson is awesome. 
That dude's just awesome. He's fun to watch. That's going to be a big problem for Detroit's defensive line. And we'll get into that a little bit with Mike Wells, my counterpart, who covers the Colts on Friday's podcast. So stay tuned for that. Uh, is the Lions' ability to get pressure for real? I think it might be. I think they're at least figuring it out. This week will be a test with that Colts offensive line. I think it's going to be a problem. If they're able to get pressure against the Colts, I think you can say absolutely it's for real. But I think that they're the way they're scheming it up is that, yes, I, I believe that it is real. I don't believe that it is a complete fallacy. I would say that let's see what it looks like against the Colts because I think the Colts are – their offensive line is so good that, you know, the week after against Minnesota, if they're back to it, I think that that ends up being more of an outliner. So I think that it's possible that that pressure is real and that their ability to get pressure is real and not just a Jacksonville Atlanta swing thing. Kurt Goldie, and we'll finish on this. He's at Goldie. Kurt, why has the offense been so predictable this year? What happened to the bevel we saw last year as offensive coordinator? I think there's been flashes. I think the beginning of halves has been very good. I think they've been very balanced and keeping teams off off kilter in those first 15 plays. I do think that there are stretches where they have become predictable, most notably in the run on first and second down, which I did ask Daryl Bevel about today. And I'm going to try and pull up his answer really quick for you here. And basically what Bevel said when I asked him about that is, quote, what we're trying to do is obviously, again, I'm just going to keep reiterating kind of the same thing, but trying to put those guys in positions to be successful, trying to do the things that we do well. Sometimes you make a good play. Sometimes the defense makes a good play as well. I don't think it's anything necessarily against Adrian. I think it can happen to, like, really any of the backs that are in there, but there are things that we can do better. I think if you talk to him, meaning Adrian, the first thing he'll say is that there are some runs that he could do better, and we're going to continue to work at that, end quote. So not a real answer there. But at least I think that they're going to – it would not shock me if you start seeing them be a little bit more creative. And I think you might see that against the Colts this week. I think they might have to be because this Colts defense, talking about things that are legit, and again, we'll talk about this on Friday with Mike Wells. This Colts defense, very, very legitimate. All three levels, very, very legitimate. And it's going to be super interesting to see how Detroit tries to scheme against it. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you all for all of your questions. If I didn't get your question, I apologize. I think I got to most of them. And I want to thank my sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online. I want to thank all of you for listening. If you can, be so kind. Give us a five-star rating or review on Apple or to iTunes if you listen there. Download and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm really appreciative for all of you each day for coming on for listening, for engaging in these mailbags. We think of how many questions we've had. We've had minimum, I think, the least amount of questions we've had in a week is 11. The most we had, I think, was 70, which was you know, a lot, but a lot of them were the same during the uh, time where everyone was calling for Matt Patricia's head. Everybody was. But I'm grateful for all of you for listening. Thank you very much, and we will talk with you tomorrow.